is supported by you and the following underwriters. Chappie's Good Food on Main Street in Roxbury for lunch, dinner, and cocktails. And Chappie's sister restaurant, the Old Mill Steakhouse, just around the corner on Bridge Street. Chappie's open every day. The Old Mill Steakhouse, open on weekends. 607-326-7020 or chappiesgoodfood.com. Mountain Flame in Arkville, featuring a range of products for home heating solutions. A variety of fireplaces, wood stoves, and gas and pellet stoves are available and on display. For sales and service, Mountain Flame in Arkville. Warming home since 1980. Details at mountainflame.com. Rick's Tire Service, family-owned and operated on State Route 30 between Roxbury and Grand Gorge. Tires mounting and wheel balancing for cars, trucks, lawn, garden, farm, and construction vehicles. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturday, 8 till noon. More information at 800-LG-TIRES. 800-LG-TIRES. I'm Diana Mason, the host of Health Cetera in the Catskills on WIOX Roxbury. I'm also board chair for Catskills Pathways to Recovery, and I want to invite you to the 5th Annual Community Action Summit on May 12th at the Pine Hill Community Center or virtually online. This year's summit will focus on reducing the stigma that is associated with pregnancy, parenting, and just living for those in our communities who are dealing with substance use disorders and addictions, and their friends, family members, neighbors, and employers. Guest speakers will lead conversations about these issues and share community resources available in our region to help. Attendance is open to all, but registration is required. The Catskills Pathways to Recovery Community Action Summit, Friday, May 12th, from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Pine Hill Community Center or online. Information and registration at catskillspathwaystorecovery.org.
Okay, you are listening to WIOX Community Radio, live and local, in the Catskill Mountains at 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20, 107.5 FM on the campus of SUNY Delhi, and everywhere at WIOXradio.org on computers or smartphones, and also with the Radio Garden phone app. This is from the forest every Wednesday. Talk about a different forest-related topic with Ryan and John. John, how's it going? Things are good, Ryan. What, what, are you, what the hell have you been up to? Well, uh, working, but also working. Plant, planting trees, planting shrubs. Working hard or hardly working? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're just talking about, I don't know, I've been having like an abundance of uh, older gentlemen come up to me lately and just tell me random jokes, you know? <laughs> Jesus. Anyway. you believe that weather? Yes, I believe the weather. <laughs> I'm in it. I'm in it. Um, yeah, uh, I cleaned out my stovepipe. After three or four years, which, you know, there's hardly anything in it. So I do have to say that burning seasoned wood is the way to go because I had maybe a little over a pint of creosote. So That's nothing really, right? That, I For a couple so. of years worth of burning, nothing. Nothing. That's good. Yeah. So. I remember I cleaned out a stovepipe for a, uh, a person one time in Margerville, and we could barely fit the pole down the chimney. But that was a brick chimney. And it was ex- totally exterior, so it's not insulated really at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm serious. We could barely put the pole that holds the brush wow. in there. We had to break it up first with the brush, with the uh, pole. Wow. Not that, good. That was a lot. Yep. That's from burning green wood. Yeah. Well, so. just having a, a chimney built wrong. If your chimney stays hot, it doesn't build up yeah. creosote, but... It's the coolness when the smoke it attaches to the side, and you know, uh, you get a chimney fire, it burns. I don't know, twenty five hundred degrees, pretty hot. <laughs> burns <laughs> yeah. right out of there. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty hot. Yeah, last winter I had, or two winters ago, I had both my chimneys were on fire at the same time, and I was on the phone with somebody. I said, "Oh, you better call the fire. Please don't call nobody." I'm, they're going to burn out. <clears throat> you damp them down, let them go out, throw a brush room the next day. But I burn kiln-dried wood in my stoves, but I don't, I keep it, you know, I don't blare it. it you know, it's... So you're, yeah, wow, you get, you're burning. So that third voice, by the way, is Gary Me. We talk to Gary every third Wednesday. Um, Gary, um, see, if you're burning that dry of wood, yeah, you must be just damping it down a lot? Or? Yeah, it's just because I don't keep my house that warm. It keeps uh, a lot of visitors away. <laughs> That's one way to do it. Huh? Yeah, it's freezing in your house, Gary. It's 60 degrees. What the heck are you doing? What are you cold like a... I well, I work, you are. I work outdoors and, you know, I come in from outdoors and, you know, 60 feels great. I like it 60 year-round. In the summer, I like it 60. Uh, Gary, I work outdoors, too. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> but... Jesus Christ, I like to come into warmth. Yeah. Well, I do. 60 is warmer than where I just come from. Yeah, that's but, a good <clears throat> argue with that. that yep. Well, I have a hot tub, too, so if I get chilled from dampness, I hop in there. And, All right. And, uh, you know, when my family comes in that, I'll, I'll turn it up a little. Yeah, where you go, 63? 60, 63, 64. I turn it up more for these sons of guns. <laughs> I'm a nice guy, can't help it. Well, talking about heat, we're going to bend some wood. 
right. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> we're off to Korea, so. But uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty special, the wood bending. And uh, a lot of what I do, I, I look for natural bends in nature, and I kind of use them. But, you know, there are applications where I actually have to bend it. You know, there were some curved walls in my house when I was redoing that that... You know, I I pulled some of the old paneling off to put some new on, and I just saw how they, because I wondered how they bent it around that corner. <clears throat> and what they did is they put a bunch of kerfs in the back, you know, about an eighth of an inch, maybe three sixteenths from the face. And then you just run hot water on it. You really don't or put a, a hot rag on it. You don't really have to steam it. And just get the it pliable, and it, it's amazing how it bends right around that curve. But you know, going back, the, the first wood benders were like the orangutans and the monkeys, and they uh, they made their nests in trees because they had to live off the ground to, uh, to keep from getting eaten at night. And uh, they, you know, I I read uh, this book. Well, it was a long book, but it was uh, one part of it was that you know orangutan could build a full you know nest in about fifteen twenty minutes. But they probably grabbed you know dry sticks and they broke and they they uh, actually learned to to use uh, I mean because green sticks well, they bend you know and especially in the spring they really in the winter they might snap if they got ice and whatnot in them but. For most of your bending, you you heat it up. Even uh, you know green wood, you want to kind of put some heat on it. Mm-hmm. And you know, jumping out of the trees onto the ground with the Indians, they they used you know for the pole houses and you know Indians they were bending trees for you know a long long time. They would mark trails by pulling saplings down and pinning them to the ground and safe passages and just different, you know, to water holes and whatnot. Just use them as markers. Because the tree didn't die, it just, you know, left a mark. You know, they didn't do, I don't suppose they bent lots of them. They just, every once in a while, they put one down. And and so you could see a vis, vis, visual trail. But, you know, then you, when, uh, you know, the white man come... We're making barrels, we're making wheels, we're making plows, and all that stuff. And they learned that uh, <clears throat> the uh, you know the best wood to bend would be hickory and white oak is a pretty good bending wood, and red is too, but not quite as as good. But you know, uh, hickory and ash, I think, and the uh, probably bend have the most bendable, pliable. Uh, cellular structure that, that allows them to bend. Not maple. Uh, maple's kind of hard. Soft maple, I would say yes, but hard maple is. I mean, any wood will bend if you steam it and heat it up enough. But mm. the hard maple seems to, when you bend it, it, you can't get as tight of a bend out of it, and then the the the, the grain kind of pops up like a, a, a splinters on the outside of it, which is, you know, okay. You can, you know, 
when it dries, just sand them down. You're going to have a little, you know, less surface area. But, I mean, you could just sand that one piece that come apart out. But uh, That's how people make bows, right? What's that? Bows, like bow and arrow? Yeah, like they're bending. hickory and ash. Hmm. Most, uh, uh, you know, plow plows they used uh, in uh, wagon wheels, they were all white oak. They used for them and barrel making. And, uh, but, you know, some, uh, you know, a lot of farmers, they, they would go in the woods, you know, for, you know, skis underneath their sleds and, you know, in the wintertime and, and like that, they would find trees with a natural bend in them and, and just cut them and, and drop, you know, throw them up in the barn for six months or a year and then, you know, build their sleigh out of them. And, uh. But you know, you get into the towns. They had, you know, steam shops and and you know the metalworks. I mean, those guys with the forges. Uh, you know, they made wagon wheels, and you know, the, the craftsmen would, you know, make a uh, make the wooden part with the spokes, and then they'd go over to the to the uh, uh, blacksmith shop and and get you know put together. But it's pretty incredible what they what they did with you know what little I mean time they had a lot more time than we have these days and it's uh, I mean they took their time and I don't know if it's they had better quality back then but they had a lot more ingenuity and you know they didn't depend on computers to to uh, make all their stuff for them you know they had to figure it out on their own. <clears throat> But the warmer that you, uh, I guess the 212 degrees, 215, maybe 20 is probably the, if you make a steam box, that's about what you, your temperature is when you pull it out to to bend it around the form. And you have to have your form ready because, <clears throat> you know, as soon as you pull it out of the steam box, it starts cooling down right away, so... You know, when you watch uh, videos on bending and that, those guys are not uh, standing around, you know, having a cup of coffee while somebody's bending. They're, they're smoking that thing right on there. And, uh, you know, the metal, actually, when they put the hot metal on the the, the wet, bent wood, it uh, kind of cauterizes it and... and you know, seals the grain, closes the, the cells so they don't rot near as, as, as fast. And that's on the outside where the metal goes. Cause, and that's how they got away with, because uh, metal, especially with oak, uh, you can look at the end of an oak log and if it's got a blue stain in it, it's got some kind of hardware somewhere in it. And, I mean, it bleeds through the whole thing and... and you know, but you see that wagon wheels and, you know, where they put, you know, metal rims on different things, on the shoes of sleighs. There's, uh, when you put green oak and uh, metal together, they, it stains, like, almost immediately. Oh, really? So the, the metal from touching the oak? So when they put that hot metal on there, mm. it sears it. Yeah. It burnishes it, basically. Mm. And that keeps uh, the metal from, you know, because, you know, and if they put it on, you know, just without heating it, they bent it and put it on 
basically dry because you can heat it and make the form and then get the wheel and put it on. But, but heated metal touching oak turns a color? No. Well, cold metal touching oak will make it blue stain. Yeah, I've seen that when I, I feel like I see that when I split wood. Yep. Sometimes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I if you just leave your that. go devil in there, your axe, for yeah. 10 minutes, you pull it out and there's a blue huh. stain there. I always wondered about that, yeah. So, but if you put a hot axe in there, it'll seal the cells and, and it actually, it's like putting a finish on it. It's called burnishing. I mean, that's a chainsaw carvers. They use that technique for years to seal it on the outside. So, I mean, they still checking uh, uh, you know some but you know that slows the process way down and it's like putting a finish on them mm. and keeps it from drying out because okay. i got thinking about that but you know because you know wagon wheels and you, you never see the blue stain in them and you know like years ago i did a little research on it barrel bending and you know they put the bands around those barrels too and there is a stain where the band is, but it don't spread. They don't put the. I don't think they put. They heat the bands up, but I don't think they. They heat them up so that they actually burn the. They burn the inside of the barrel, but I don't think the bands are heated up. They're probably pre-made pieces. I like to go to a barrel making shop. You there's have a. a there's there's a, a barrel maker. Falls. Yeah. Ulster County. Uh, he was on our radio show. Yeah, I listened to him. I think yeah. he was on a couple times. Once. Once? Yeah, just once. Well, I probably listened to the show twice. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, yeah. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And, you know, it's a lot of work to make a barrel. I would imagine so. And, I mean, the angles and the bends. and. He said, you know, I don't, listen, I'm not a carpenter, but he says it's different than carpentry because it's, it's, you kind of have to have the plan in your head. It's more intuitive than mathematical is the way he described it. Right. Well, because of the curves and everything. All the barrels are slightly different. Yeah. They're not all exactly the same. But, you know, that's actually anything. I All my pieces, are, there's not two the same. And, you know, I just finished that queenside bed frame last year, and that was the last piece I made before I started my, uh, for the gallery, before I started on my place in New Kingston. But, you know, I... I have four pins in it, and I had to braid rawhide and put them in each corner with a with a brass screw. So when you pop the pin, because all that holds that bed together is four mm. old. It was an old broom handle, hickory, but every hand, every corner was hand drilled, and you know the pin on the left side wouldn't fit on the right side. It wouldn't. It's everything just hand fit and hand fit, and you you rasp and you, you just very slow and but you know when you're done it's that that bed doesn't budge it no wiggle it's amazing so but anyway that's a natural curve i didn't bend that that was a cherry tree from up in hockett center that blew down from irene and but that's a beautiful piece if you want to anybody want to come see the gallery I have a few new pieces in there and you know there's a few tables in there that i did actually use bending and i do the veneer bending because i uh well i actually i i did some other uh what does that mean to veneer bend well you take a board and you slice it 
uh, I use my table saw and with a real thin kerf blade. I mean, if you have a good resaw, band saw, you can do it too. But you just take the board and you veneer it into, you know, eighth of an inch. You know, if it's a really tight bend, probably you get away with an eighth. But, you know, if you got a mild bend, you could get away with three sixteenths or so. But you just veneer the board. It gets taped together just as it comes out of the back of the saw. Uh, so that you know all the the uh, the grain lines up, and I have a uh, I have a pipe at the mill in in the kiln, and you know it's up to 160, 65 in there, and it's usually that temperature for because it has to acclimate for like two days uh, at the end of the the, the well we call it a, a charge. But it's a schedule. At the end of the schedule, it just has to kind of get everything, get some stuff, and well, it equalizes. But you know, I have I put water in it and I seal it up, and you know, I pull it out, and you know, whatever I put in there. I did a lot of soft maple bending. I tried some hard maple, but that flaked out on me a little bit. Even, uh, but it's only 165 in the kiln. But you know, all the uh, most other bends I did by my house, I just went in and filled the bathtub. Well, I put maybe six, eight inches in the bottom of the hot, just pure hot water. And a little soap don't hurt either. Just a little bit of, it has to be a, it can't be a, uh, an industrial soap. Just, you know, dove or something like that, but not too much. You put too much in, then the glue won't stick. But what that does, that softens the grain. It makes it more pliable. Hmm. And it, uh, But, you know, you put it in the jig, it's a time-consuming thing. And, you know, I, if I do a mild arch, probably maybe a 18, 20-inch diameter, you know, it's uh, you have to put a clamp about... An inch, every inch apart. So you have, and you know, you got to have a workbench where this thing, you know, because the piece you're bending is pretty light, but you get 18, 20 clamps on it. So that gets pretty heavy and, mm -hmm. you know, cumbersome. So, you know, once you, you got to, and your, your forms are mostly solid blocks that are carved, cut on a bandsaw. And that's what you use for, for bending around. And you can't use metal because metal will stain it. So it has to be wood. And there's different woods that you can't use bending around walnut because walnut will stain just about everything it touches when it's wet. And But maple and pine, pine's a good one. Uh, white pine makes good bowls because it's it's got the pine pitch in it and nothing, you know, nothing bothers that. So, uh, you know, no staining or any of that kind of stuff. Even though it's a, an acid, acid, has an acid base, the wood does. But, and, uh, but okay, then you take it out, and you about 24 or about 48 hours, <clears throat> you take these veneers, you put them around your form, and then you wait about 48 hours so it's good and dry. And you can accelerate it by putting it, you know, by, you know, a wood stove where it's a lot harder hotter than it is in the room and 
But usually I wait two days, and then you take it off, and the wood stays pretty much in the form that it dried in. Mm-hmm. And squirt glue in there and then clamp it again. But if you want a one-inch wide piece, you've got to start out with an inch and a half <clears throat> uh, wide piece because when you glue that, you know, you can't line them up exactly. And after you bend them, then you got to, you know, I can I put bends through my planer. You know, if you're anything that's an inch, inch and a half wide, you know, in the bend, you can put them through the planer. It's a little tricky. You just put it down on slow because you have to turn it as it goes through because, you know, your 24-inch planer, if you have a bigger circle than that, it's not going to fit through. So well, that's how I do my curve, you know, my natural curves, too, putting them through the planer or the sander. You can just move them slightly as they're going through. And, uh, you know, it's really uh, exciting and, you know, try to bend some stuff. It's, it's, uh, it's really not that tough. It's, it's time consuming. Yeah. And you got to make, uh, I made a dresser, uh, years ago and it was in my, before I opened the gallery, cause I made, I don't know, 12, 14 gallery pieces and, I'd wrap them up and, you know, stretch film and blankets and store them. And, you know, I started making my pieces in 2007. I didn't open the gallery till 2011. So anyway, this piece was in my mudroom. And I extend, they had a curved front and the drawers kind of passed the cabinet on each side. And originally my idea was just to, you know, reach on each side and pull it in and push it out. And I'm sitting there putting my shoes on every morning and, and every night, putting my shoes on, taking them off. on the fr- Because the front of that dresser was just plain. And I kept seeing birds. And I kept seeing birds. So finally one day I said, oh, screw this. I went out in the shop and I grabbed the... I said I had some um, uh, thick pine. And I put it on the bandsaw and... I, I, there's a, there were five drawers, so I need, I needed ten pulls, and what I did is I veneered the wood, and I still have the forms, but every, every drawer has slightly, they're not all exactly the same, because I wanted to do them all at the same time, and, you know, I had a little jig that I drew the lines with but this was a super tight bend I veneered these probably a, maybe just over a sixteenth of an inch thick and uh, I brought them in the house I threw them in a pot of boiling water and I took them out with, you know uh, how long did you leave them there for? in the water? Yeah. oh maybe two to five minutes not very long Yeah. and uh, you know I pulled them out with pliers and you know I just I had them taped uh, so that they, you know, like they, you know, whatever one I was making, they were they would stay together. And tape, you can tape these things, and you know, still move them. And and you know, uh, I just use that clear uh, packaging tape. You throw them in, and then you take a pair of pliers and take them out, and you know, run them out in the shop and put them in there and squeeze the heck right out of them, and and uh, they come out really beautiful and they're they're perfect and a bend is a veneered bend is 
I would, I'm not very uh, uh, scientific, but I would say it'd be five times stronger than a, a flat. Really? It's, oh, my goodness, yes. Yeah, mm. especially if you glue and you veneer it. And that's why they make arches for bridges and, you know, these different, you know, for weight-bearing. An arch is, is ten times stronger than a straight piece going across because that, the wood grain, and it just, you know, like I say, I'm not scientific, but my unscientific mind tells me that, yeah, that's it's definitely a lot stronger. Cause so they it, bend wood for making those big arches? Yeah. How do they do that on such a big piece? Man. Well, they they steam them and they use uh, veneers. Uh, wow. back, you know, when they made a lot of, uh, back when they, you know, these arch bridges, they, I think the Amish or the Amish or Amish, whatever they are, they, they still do uh, those arch bridges with steam bending. Hmm. But they use a lot of white oak in there and hickory in, in there. White oak, hickory don't last that good outdoors. So that's why the plow bottoms and all, you know, the actually the handles of the plows and all the, the wagon wheels and all that were made out of white oak because white oak doesn't rot. White oak is becoming in short supply. Yeah, I know. I uh, Actually, I had <laughs> quite a bit of it a year ago. and I mean, I sold right out. I, people are just coming out of the woodwork looking for it. And, what yeah, for? Huh? What for? Uh, what did they say? Well, they're uh, countertops and shelving and the, I don't, you know, I tried to talk them into something I had a lot more of, but they just wanted that. And, I mean, it was, I mean, white oak didn't used to be that expensive, but, you know, I I had a big order and I went to a mill in Hudson and got a price on it. I said, you got to be kidding me. And <laughs> so I didn't get the job because... I just, you know, by the time I marked it up a little bit, it was, the guy said, I, I ain't doing that. So I don't blame you. I wouldn't either. But, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's shortened demand. It's got such a high demand that it's shortened the recent, you know, our kind of our resources and, and what we have available. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those dis disturbance dependent tree species. Well, needs we a lot of sunlight, cutting, burning, and it's just not regenerating. We're going to have uh, – I just got off the email before this show uh, from the White Oak Initiative, and they're down in – somewhere down south. But they're coming, they're coming on in June to talk about their initiative to regenerate White Oak because it's, it's not really happening. No. Definitely not happening Well, we export here. too much. But even, I'm talking about in the forest sense. You know, I'm not even talking about that. Like it's just not growing. Well, in the woods, if we, you know, we would have enough if we didn't export it. I don't so. think so. This is my point. I don't. I don't think. Oh, you don't would. think it's regenerating? No, no. I know it's not. Yeah. Well, I know Long Island is. I went down there, and the, the amount of white oak growing on that island is. Yeah, but just, Long Island's one of the most pyrogenic landscapes around, so I would expect that to be true. Right. But, well, but, it is true. I wouldn't lie. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, Long Island, you know, Fire Island, all these things. Right. It's a yeah. legacy of, of human beings, you know, disturbing it. But well, that's not of, happening as much it, as it used to. Yeah. You know? No, I know. Yeah. But, you know, they they also, it's, it's open, you know, because, you know, people, I mean, they live 
they might have half acre, third of an acre, whatever. But yeah. each each individual, they they landscape the property. They keep the trees open, and you know everything is. But you know, out in the the forest, like in the mountains here, you know the white oaks they're suffering here because they just don't have the. They're dying. They're mostly they, suppressed. Chestnut oak is worse, which, which is like a white oak. It gets shaded out first, and then white oak gets shaded out, and then the last and oak, rock rock oak too. That's chest, chestnut oak, right? Yeah. And the last oak to get shaded out would be red oak, which is doing well still. Yeah, yeah and they grow. Okay, somebody told me they had a four hundred year old tree. Oh boy. It's the second and, time this week, I've and been. I didn't even respond because I'm not going to argue with anybody. So, you know, it was like five foot in diameter. I think it was a red oak, but you know, some people just don't realize how fast those things grow if they're in the right place. But a 400 year old tree is really rare in the Catskills, especially well, we a, did a hardwood tree. Well, we and did. if it's it, did it have low branches because it's, I think it's the same person and. If it's got low branches, it means it's growing in a field, which means it can't be older than the field. Right. And around here, our fields are not older usually than 1830. Yeah. It's about as old as they get. Yeah. So it's not 400 years old. Well, the, you know, we did a show on trees, age of trees. And, you know, around the world they have trees that are, you know, 1,000, 1,200. Some of them are, you know, 2,000 years old. But, you know, in the mountains here... We don't have trees that are that old, I don't think. Plus, it's harsh environment. You know, you get winters every year and stuff, and and that that really breaks a lot of those trees apart structurally. And wind. Yeah, wind and ice and wind water and, and freezing rain and all that. Yep. But uh, yeah, I I love the weather here. It's it's uh, it just keeps you. <laughs> on your toes all the time and you know last week or in the 90s that was too much that was just too hot yeah for this early that was just ridiculous last thursday i went to woodstock and i was 88 when i left margaretville and i got to woodstock it was 94 and i said man i hope we get some snow soon and this guy goes what are you nuts and i said <laughs> no <laughs> This is really horrible for our environment to be at 94 degrees yeah. in April. It's not good. It's I fine. I mean, then you're going to maybe... Uh, Mother Nature is resilient, Gary. We don't yes, give her so enough... Yes, so humans. We don't give her enough... Uh, humans complain prayer. a lot, but we're pretty resilient. Yeah. But, you know, when, at first... It was snowing on me yesterday. Yeah, I know. I was last... up at 2,700 feet and walked up to a mountain that was 32, 3,300, and it was, it was snowing on me the whole yeah. time, pretty much. <laughs> yesterday i believe it, I believe it. snow shower and all that one yep and another uh, i don't it's not a tree or a wood i don't know what grapevine would be categorized as as a, just a, a weed really i don't it's know a woody vine that that yeah. bends very i mean you can do some tight bends with that it's a I, crazy plant grapevine i mean look at what it does a snake its way up trees and everything it's a it's a cool 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 plant you know 50 60 feet i use a lot in my in my art and you know when uh if you're doing tight bends you got to do them green if you're doing a you know because when i did the mother and child i rolled it up and i knew i needed something about 
18, 20 inches in diameter, and I just tied them with baling twine, threw them in the kiln, dried them off, and and but you know there's winter cut, and that's the same with with uh, uh, you know bending wood again is. Wait, so what's the biggest diameter you bent then? With uh, grapevine, oh. probably one inch is one inch. Yeah. Well, see now you can go. It depends on the tightness of the bend. You know, I did a picture frame out of a piece of firewood last night after work. I I just had this idea, and I said, you know what, I'm going to have some fun tonight. I'm sick of working for people and taking orders all the time. But anyway, <laughs> it gets old, and it's, it's like, uh, I, I'm going to do something fun. So I picked this peak block of firewood, and I put it through the bandsaw, and I cut this. Because I had this idea a few weeks ago, and it came out beautiful, but, you know, it was a a five-inch knot hole. And I went out on the bank by the mill. It was about 7.30, 8 o'clock last night, and I'm walking the bank, and I cut a soft maple branch about, you know, a half-inch in diameter, and I, I brought that down. I put it on top of the wood stove, and, you know, uh, it heated it up, and it just would not do the bend for me. So I ran back up, and I got some grapevine about the same diameter, and, you know, I put that on the, you know, I have a cast iron wood stove. You throw it on there, and, you know, you just bend it around the, it was kind of a donut on top. You just bend it around and, you know, saddle it on there and, you know, go work on something else for about 10 minutes and come back. And, I mean, that thing, you can tie in a knot. But I did a four-and-a-half-inch circle, and and I got that to bend around there without splitting. That's that cool. amazing. But in the, in the spring, which I don't know how I did it last night, I pulled the bark off. I peeled it off with my fingers really easy because in the spring, the sap's running, the cambrium layer comes off, and the cambrium is that beautiful bronze-brownish color. And, you know, the piece of firewood, once I got the bark off, was a cambrium, so I didn't want it to be, you know, bright. And uh, But the, the cambrium stayed on. And uh, actually, I realized I was telling uh, John and Ryan before the show <clears throat> that in my gallery, I put grape, I use grapevine, you know, f- on both sides of my mural and, and, you know, across the ceiling and stuff. And... And uh, but you know I used you know inch and a half probably diameter from oh it went up eight feet and I put it tight to the one that joined where it went up the ceiling <clears throat> and about a year later there was a three quarter inch space uh, most uh, so grapevine shrinks with the you know with the grain the long ways. The long grain will shrink in grapevine. So when I'm doing these picture frames and stuff and using grapevine for bending, I have to overlap them quite a bit because they are going to dry out and they'll shrink. Mm. And uh, but you know, uh, so it, it just makes it a little bit trickier. And where they come together and you join them, that that angle is uh, probably the hardest thing to get. John, you ever bend any wood? No, I was going to ask Gary. It sounds like a lot of what you're describing is more decorative wood bending and the woodworking aspect of it. But what's more, 
wood bending that's more functional. I mean, you said whiskey barrels. Is there any other uh, application that's standard that bends wood? I can't think of anything. Well, there's whiskey barrels and sleighs and... Uh, arches, right? Oh, yeah, the arches, the bridge arches. Bridge arches. Probably in cathedrals and stuff, I would imagine. They yeah. might bend in the upper port, you know, hold up the ceiling. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Well, I, I study architecture when I go I in churches, and a lot of... I. A lot of them are are cut out on like a bandsaw. Hmm. They use big timbers, and you can see where they join the two pieces. And they, uh, uh, you know, arches uh, and especially weight bearing arches. You know, uh, you know, you bend wood around them, and and uh, yeah, you put. I mean, they'll support a lot of weight. When they're wet, not so much, but when they dry, they, they get more brittle. Mm. And they don't flex. Because the grapevine, once that's dry, <clears throat> if you, you know, pull it, it'll snap. But not with, like, hickory. Hickory, when you bend that, <clears throat> and it's dry, it's very flexible when you pull it. It's very hard to break, but... Mm. But uh, grapevine will snap. It's it's not it's not weight bearing. That's shag bark or bitternut hickory or both. Uh, you might call it pig nut. I probably both. Yeah. <clears throat> Hickories. Uh, I I I never unless I see the tree growing when I'm I'm working with hickory. I can't tell whether it's pig nut or or uh, uh, shag bark. Well, shag bark <clears throat> just has a really shaggy bark and and I don't. Well, not when nut. you get the lumber in it doesn't oh i don't know anything about the lumber loses the bark <laughs> yeah oh is that what you said yeah, yeah unless you see the tree yeah yeah so the wood basically is the same i i really would like to invest i think maybe the shag bark might have a like a deeper heart you know a, a more of a, a amber reddish color than the yeah. pig nut shag bark doesn't grow as big around here <clears throat> bitter nut or I call it smooth bark just smooth because it bark. describes the tree better yeah. than than pig nut. Although there is pig nuts, totally different game. But uh, they, they're this one of our tallest hardwood trees in the forest is a is a smooth bark hickory. It yeah, gets and I, really I have tall. A, there's a whole vein of them at my mill that goes right up the mountain, right up. They can be over hundred feet tall sometimes. Yeah, they. Uh, I have one on my neighbor's property that I climb when I need some exercise. I haven't climbed in a while. And I'll just put a line in it and go to the top of it and uh it's tall well i got when i was in dimension you know doing a lot of dimension work some mills would send me stuff 18 24 inch wide just beautiful boards um, unbelievable but they had uh the ingrown bark in them and that's why they got degraded which mm. in my world that's worth twice as much <laughs> you're just tuning in you're listening to from the forest and tonight's topic is let's bend some wood with gary mead in your time the innocence will fall away Baby 
southern caves Massive storms Reach your eastern shores Fields of green Will tumble through your summer days By design Yourself the boulder course, keep your heart as open as a shrine. You'll sail a perfect listening to from the forest every wednesday six to seven p.m talking about a different forest related topic tonight's topic is let's bend some wood with gary mead so uh, most wood that's bent now is in chairs uh they have uh they have a uh, there's a they're that they're mass produ- produced and they they're they're bending with machines there's still a few small shops that do it by hand but uh there's a the hairpin is a popular style and the windsor now the windsor that's a very interesting chair that's been around a very long time and uh there's still a lot of uh, uh like craft shops that that hand make them <clears throat> And the interesting thing I found about Windsor, uh, I don't know, a long time ago, I don't remember how long, but, you know, since the beginning, really, because uh, they, the seat of a Windsor chair is green, and all the spindles and all the bends on it are kiln-dried. And I got, but they didn't use glue in the beginning. They they just put these things together uh, dry, but you know what what happened was the kiln dried uh, spindles and the arches. Then they put the holes. You know they drilled. You know the pilot holes going to the seat and the legs. The seat would shrink when it dried, and 
those things don't come apart. That's an ingenious thing that's been going on for a long, long time. Hmm. But, that's you cool. know, the hairpin chairs, they're the ones that, you know, they're those little side chairs. You see that it's one round bend. I mean, they they use hickory, mostly hickory dowels. Then, you know, I think from the two back legs around the top and down to the floor, probably a you know a, a six foot dowel they probably need to to do those bends so they make these dowels and they steam them and they they go through these high pressure presses <clears throat> that just and then they go down another little heat chamber and i mean and then it comes out all these pieces come out at the end and you know they that's when they drill them and they put them together because once they're they're steamed and and bent you know the the bend. You know they're flexible, and they they put them. You know that's when they put the seats on and and put put them together. But I've always been fascinated by them. <clears throat> I did a lot of re- uh, uh, <clears throat> when restaurants back when I first started. When they closed down for vacation, they threw me in there, and I repaired all their tables and chairs. And the bentwood chairs, especially the hairpin, a lot of them. <clears throat> On that sharp bend, if they, you know, were in a very, got really, really dry by a wood stove or something, the grain would start flaking apart. So what I did with them is I I just brought, uh, you know, some glue and and just some of that uh, packaging tape. You wrap it around and then put a clamp on there and stick it back. And most of them stayed. Some of them didn't didn't always stay but you know it was right on the tightest part of the arch i mean it would just and it's very dangerous because it's it's like a a, it's just very sharp i mean Mm. it's it's if you slide your arm on it it'll it'll slice you yeah and uh but you know but most of them never did that it was just like uh but you know wood's funny that way then it's not all the same and Probably if they would have bent that down in the opposite direction, that wouldn't have happened because mm. it would have been on the inside curve and not the outside curve. But, you know, uh, <clears throat> but that always fascinated me, those tight bends that they make. I designed a chair a few years back, I, and I it's it's two-thirds done. I just never finished it, but it was kind of the Windsor style I was copying. But I use veneer. Uh, I veneered the back of that. And uh, you know the the back legs are in the arch are all in the same bend, and you know the seats on it and the front legs. I it's just it's so close to being done. But <clears throat> one of these days when I get the new Kingston, I'll uh, I'm going to focus more on that kind of stuff. I'll have a nicer place to work and all that so, too. So what are you going to bend next? What's your next <clears throat> idea? My next bending idea up at my property, my doorways, I'm going <clears> to <throat> uh, make all, all my doorways are going to be arched. So, I'm, you know, I actually, you know, I'll cut the arch out of the top of the door, but the archway <clears throat> where the, you know, the, the uh, uh, that'll have to be bent and you know, put up in there. But, you know, I'll steam bend them or veneer them. I'm not sure. I, I never know what the heck I'm going to do till I face it, and then I just do it. 
and you know I might say what I'm going to do and it might change so it's uh you know when you're working in the arts it's it's like a composition you you get to this one point and you go oh you know maybe that wasn't such a good idea and and you know you do something different it's always changing you know last night I was going to bend you know a piece of soft maple I ended up running up and getting some some uh, grapevine and but you know I have hickory on the property but <clears throat> the limbs they're so high up there <laughs> you know I would have had to get the forklift put a pallet on it and uh, I said you know what I'm not doing that but yeah 21 foot pole saw <clears throat> yeah wasn't at my mill last night though was it no it wasn't <laughs> you, you could Mitch it. has one of them no, you gotta have one. They're great. I gotta, I gotta get one of those. They're awesome. <clears throat> they're good during deer hunting season too. You know, make your shooting lanes. Yeah. You know, instead of I used to climb up the tree and cut them out. That's silly. Yeah. When you have a twenty-one foot pole. <clears throat> yeah, Mitch, he trims trees around my house. Well, he come up to do a job a few weeks ago or a month ago, and said, oh, "Geez, you know, stop by the house and <clears throat> you know, he pruned some of my taller." trees and stuff i couldn't reach yeah uh, you know back 20 years ago i'd have climbed up with a freaking handsaw on them but <clears throat> i'm not 20 years ago <laughs> i miss those days sort sort of you know you, uh, you just can't do stuff you used to be able to do but you know you go a little slower and a little more careful that's all but anyway i have a poem to read if you guys want to sure. listen to a poem this one's called Paradise. I wrote this eleven twenty three twenty two. It's just a reminder about you know uh, we we have a lot of problems in this world and you know uh, people get a little bit on edge. But I wrote, I was on edge a lot when I wrote this, and that's why I wrote it. I think heard about Paradise. They said it's real nice. Storms pleasant presently raging inside of you when in the darkness ooh 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 find a way to let the light shine through all life long hanging on a thread of hope at times threads feel heavy and tight twisting together making heavy rope looking out looking out for paradise laying down in your bed silence fills the room is it in the mountains, valleys, streams, worldwide towns, city streets? Paradise seems hiding from me. Many times I tried, other times I cried. Countless times feeling sorry for myself. Life is not superficial, glamorous, glamorous tinsel town. Dreamt one night, went to school naked, and you know, looking back feels like that dream. This world keeps spinning round and round. And I realize beautiful things left, right, and in front of me. A child is born, smiling eyes, beautiful dreams. Kissing, hugging, embracing love of life. Children playing with their pets and friends. Spring flowers, summer warmth, autumn color, winter snow. Cold-blooded amphibians and hot-blooded homo sapiens. Streams, oceans, rocks, clouds, sun, moon, and stars. Earth paradise, a magnificent place. And paradise all around, everywhere in the world. And when threads get tangled, making heavy rope, 
feeling tightness around your throat, coming together when chips are down. Just cut the threads and let them go. We're locked in prisons of our own design. Turn up tunes that make you smile, and things will be better in a little while. For paradise is really close at hand, and unlock prisons of your own demand. Love with no restraint and always be kind, because paradise really just a state of your mind. And that's my poem for the night, you guys. Well, it's Just good timing, Gary, and thanks for coming on. That's all the time we have on From the Forest. And, uh, I want to bend some more wood. That's right. <laughs> See you next week. Good night, everyone. Good night. Peace, everybody. All right. Oh, the neon lights were flashing and the icy wind did blow. The water seeped into his shoes and the drizzle turned to snow. His eyes were red, his hopes were dead, and the wine was running low. And the old man came home from the forest. His tears fell on the sidewalk as he stumbled in the street. A dozen faces stopped to stare, but no one stopped to speak. For his castle was a hallway, and the bottle was his friend. And the old man stumbled in from the forest. Up a dark and dingy staircase, the old man made his way. His ragged coat around him as upon his cot he lay And he wondered how it happened that he'd ended up this way Getting lost like a fool in the forest And as he lay there sleeping a vision did appear Upon his mantle shining the face of one so dear Who'd loved him in the springtime of the long forgotten year When the wildflowers did bloom in the forest She touched his grizzled fingers and she called him by his name and then he heard the joyful sound of children at their games In an old house on a hillside in some forgotten town Where the river runs down from the forest WIOX is supported by you and the following underwriters. Rockland Cider Works Upstate in Gilboa, an agritourism cidery with vacation rentals on a sprawling former dairy farm, gluten-free.